Today, I am talking to my best friend from high school, Lana Kim, and we have been friends since high school. We met in math class, right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Yes. We met in algebra. Yeah, we've just been best friends forever, and so I have her here today because she's obligated to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I'd do it anyway. I know. So, but we've always had um, good conversations about life and, you know, how things have changed over the years, and so that's kind of what I want to talk about today is your philosophy on life, and I think I mentioned to you how you used to be very spontaneous, and your motto was, a new breeze is blowing. It's so funny because I actually, I found myself saying that again recently. And I mean, that's from the first George Bush. Uh, it was his, one of his kind of slogans for his campaign. Oh, when was, was it really? Is that when, where you got it? Yeah. From oh, when I had he was no running, idea. Yeah, back when I was a Republican. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to lose some listeners, you know, from that. I, I've changed my, my ways. But yeah, it, that really stuck with me, like you know, we can wake up every single day and realize that it's a new day. And you can just, it's not really forget about what happened yesterday, but kind of move forward from it, if that makes sense. Sure. So I kind of want to go back to you being a Republican and now you're, what, moderate middle? Yeah. So what what changed? Because that's kind of... Not an extreme, but mm-hmm. you you kind of look at, we've talked a lot about this. You kind of go, well, I was this way. I always like thought everything was this one way and very in a box. And now you're like, it's not so much that way anymore. So what happened? I think when I first really started forming my ideologies, um, I, I was very conservative in my thinking and which is so weird because I grew up really poor and you would think I would have been more leaning to more social activism and stuff, but no, I, I, I felt like, you know, I was kind of staunch, but you have to live. And once you start living, you start to realize that we can be kinder. We can take care of the poor. We can do so many things that maybe didn't lend itself to how I originally thought. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, being Republican meant that I, didn't I wasn't kind or didn't feel that way but I think I've just become more socially aware of things racism just across the board and now while I wouldn't say I've gone to the extreme the other direction I feel like I can kind of meet somewhere in the middle where I can see both points of view and form a good opinion and and vote either direction and I've actually voted either direction for many years Mm -hmm. regardless of what I was registered as so Right. So, and I also think too, you're in medical sales. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it for 20 years or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, and then you've had a chance to see how the healthcare system works mm-hmm. and just kind of see other people's lives. Right. Has that helped kind of say, like, this is reality and not what we think things should be? Yeah. For when I first started in medical sales, it was a real eye opener because I had no idea what the healthcare system was like. Um, I'd been, uh, my husband was military, so we were so well taken care of. Then once we started getting on our own, after getting out of the military, he worked for Microsoft, so we had really good benefits. And then you start working and you have crappy benefits after a while. And you're like, okay, I'm making decent money. I can still handle this. 
But then you realize that there are people that don't make decent money and can't handle this. Right. And that nobody should go without. When I started seeing patients, people who need to breathe, and I was providing stuff, uh, medical equipment for them to be able to breathe, and they couldn't afford it. And you're like, how do we help this patient? Sure. And and that was really what kind of started pushing me the other direction, for sure. Right. So I want to talk about your first husband. You, um, your first husband was in the Navy, mm-hmm. and then your second husband was also in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, you have four kids, mm-hmm. so that and you pretty much raised them on your own. Yep. So you've had a lot of life experience. Yes. <laughs> and yes. So um, I feel really blessed. Again, like if we go touch back on being in medical cells has allowed me to be able to afford to take care of my kids. If anything, some people, that whole stigma between a single mom and not being able to provide, um, not the case. I absolutely did the best I could for my kids, as I'm sure everybody out there tries. But again, you can see how it would be so much harder if I had been making so much less. Sure. On one income for kids. Sure. I'm going to start this question early. I wondered if you have any regrets. No. Or, or... I know we've talked about how the decisions we make. We've talked a little bit offline about how this podcast is about making life choices. Mm -hmm. And we have talked about how, well, I made that choice and that decision. And now, you know, hindsight's always 20-20. And you go, God, was that the best decision? But I think it's not necessarily regret, is it? I think we make the decision, life decisions based on the options that we have at that time or Mm -hmm. what we know, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't know, talk to me a little bit about, you don't have any regrets, but do you wish things were different or? Uh, You know, there's a lot to that question. And first thing is, you know, as far as regrets, no. Every day you wake up and you are at the fork in the road. You are either gonna choose left or you're gonna choose right. So, You have to decide, okay, am I going to do this today or am I going to do that? You don't know until you've made the decision whether it's a right one or a wrong one. And I think that we need to give ourselves a little bit of credit. Sure. That um, we've gotten the smarts to get us to a point where we think we're going on the right path. But we only know it's a wrong decision when we look back. But then again, when you look back, you can't even say that it would be different if you'd done it a different way. Sure. So I, I think it's just an excuse to beat ourselves up. We just need to stand behind what we decide to do and move forward. And, and it, my biggest mantra in life is one foot in front of the other. Every day you wake up, you put one foot in front of the other. And it could be the crappiest day, but you are still just going to keep moving forward. Because it's better than sitting down and doing nothing. Sure. But sitting down doing nothing is still a choice. It is. And, and, you know, and if that's your decision for today, that's fine. That's you and that's your decision. So, yeah. And, you know, again, about regrets and, you know, I've, I've had a lot of crazy things happen in my life. And if I changed one thing, I feel like it would change everything. Sure. And I'm unwilling to do that. So I have to... And it would drive me crazy just to think, well, if I'd only, you know, not screwed up. If I didn't screw up in math class, (laughs) well, then I never would have met you. Right. You know, because that's all we did. We went to the penalty box. 
But you know what I mean? It would have changed my life. And I don't know that the outcome would be better. It would just be different. Sure. And I like my life. Yeah. No, we're, I, I think we're both in really good places. Um, but w- do you think that we should have a plan? I guess my point is, is a plan, things should happen in a linear fashion. A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. You get a nice job, you buy a house, you, you know, you should have a plan for retirement, for, you know, what are you going to do the next three, five, ten years? Like, what do you, do you think life is that neat or that clean or that straightforward? Hell no. I mean, in, in all honesty, we can roadmap our life and that's totally cool. But I guarantee, unless you are like strict type A, I am not doing this because it's not on my plan. Well, you're going to veer away from it. And and I think it's a suggestion. So should I say, okay, yes, I should plan some for retirement? Sure. But am I going to die and have nothing? Probably not. You're going to find a way to make it work for you, you know? And I I feel like People are probably cringing at that idea right now right. as, you know, they're they're at our age building wealth and looking at retiring in 20 years, whatever. I look at retirement, it's just an extension of what I'm already doing. It really, I don't know, my, my plan is not the same as everybody else's, but do I need to have one to live? No. Right. And uh, we're both 48, we mm-hmm. turn 48 and... I have a very small retirement fund. There's no way I could live on it. But for some reason, and I've always just not been worried about retirement. Either I know deep down that I'm going to be fine. Maybe I'll become successful later in life. Or I might be dead in five years. I don't know. I'm just not worried about it. And I think we could have a goal or an idea. But to be like, what's your three, five, ten year plan? You can't plan for, you know, your husband dropping dead of a heart attack, like, you know, some somebody I know, or your ex-husband committing suicide. Like, you know, we've both taken care of sick parents, terminally ill parents because of cancer. I mean, you just can't plan for those things. And I just don't think that people who don't have a plan like that is wandering or like, what are you doing with your life? Type, you know what I mean? Uh, no, you know, okay. I, I really think there are those that wander and aimlessly and have no direction, for sure. sure. I kind of feel like we're in between. The the wandering and the got your stuff all in line and together and no matter what happens, you feel like you can handle it. I feel like we're right in the middle there. And I am okay with that because I'm not going to stress out on either direction because I, I feel like I'm, I'll make it no matter what. I, I just know, you know, and, and I'll be fine and, and life will keep going. And it's interesting to me to see people that really, they're like, oh, this is my five-year, 10-year plan. I, I look at that and I think that is really great because that's what they want. Sure. I'm not saying that's bad. Neither am I. You know, and again, that goes back to that fork in the road again, where we're, we wake up every day with a choice on how we're going to live our life. And, and that's their choice. So to me, it's just like, maybe we shouldn't judge anybody for the way they're thinking and doing. And whether it's you've got your shit together or you really don't. Maybe 
the person that's there living their life, they're freaking happy. Doesn't matter that they don't have, you know, 1.5 million in the bank for the time they hit 65. And I will tell you, I've had experiences in my life where people have worked their tail off in jobs they absolutely hate to croak right before they hit retirement. And, and that, that was a life lesson for me to see how people struggle being miserable just to reach that hurdle that they didn't make it to. Right. And that's my point. I'm not judging those people that mm-hmm. need to have a plan and want to have this and that. I'm not absolutely, that's not my point. My point is, is that I think more people are unhappy because they're living, they're working to live and, you know, to have the house and to have the huge retirement and, but they're not happy right now. Mm-hmm. And that's my point is that you could, something could happen tomorrow. You could get hit by a bus or, you know, I had a friend that her husband dropped it. They had planned, you know, they had a plan to get in the RV and retire and travel the country. And he just dropped out of a heart attack. I think more people are more unhappy than they're willing to admit. Mm-hmm. And it's about being honest with yourself and saying like, is the grind really what I want to do? Am I happy? Am I, you know, the day-to-day job that we do, are we happy doing it? Is it what we're passionate about? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people feel like, well, this is the right thing to do. This is what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where my, what I wanted to achieve through this podcast is that it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, people may not agree with what you're doing, but they, they're they not paying your bills. And we've been talking recently about how, like, do we want to live the rest of our lives doing the nine to five, you know, because we both have jobs that it's not our passion. We don't dislike our jobs, but, you know, it's just not our passion. And we want to travel and we want to experience the world. And so why can't we give up, you know, our you know, for a year and just do it, you well, know? I, I look at it this way. Like as we're aging, it becomes more painful, you know? And why would I want to wait till I'm 65, 70 to do things that I could do now? I kind of would rather flip it, you know, and maybe work harder then and less harder now when I could actually enjoy it. Right. Yeah, um, we talked about with Olivia in my first episode, we were in Alaska and she met all kinds of people and talked to and how, you know, she talked to one gentleman and he was like teary eyed because that was the trip him and his wife were supposed to go on. And they were 60, 70 years old and Mm -hmm. she passed away before they could go. And I just, I think sometimes we can't plan. Life throws curveballs or, you know, and there's things within us that we just, that you have to do. And if you squash that, I think it just causes more anguish later. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want that for people. I want people to be honest with themselves and say, gosh, do I really like my job? Do I really like where I live? Why can't I just make a different choice? Right. And, and it, it really doesn't mean that you're going to get in an RV and go somewhere. It may, right, right. It, it may mean like, gosh, I really wanted to live in Montana and live amongst, you know, the wildlife and have a cabin or whatever it is. So do it. That, that to me is just like, what is holding you back? Right. So. Yeah. I think a lot of people just don't do that because they have a good job or they need mm-hmm. this. But it, like I've said before, it's a lifestyle change. You can't keep the same house and have the same cost of living expenses and cut your 
salary in half. It's priorities. A, priorities. I think to about be in this. Uh, no, I totally get what you're saying, and I think about it's kind of like stuff or experiences. It's your choice, right? Some people stuff makes them happy, and some people experiences make them happy. I just happen to be an experience junkie. Sure. And so that's more along the lines of where I want to veer my life towards, you know, creating more memories. Sure. And you have um, started a side hustle, if I will. You're a mm-hmm. photographer. Mm-hmm. And you've been talking recently about wanting to take, you know, figure out how you can make money on the road and start traveling. And do you really see that that's something that you could do? That- I do. Um, right now, like I've been doing photography for gosh, I don't know, five, six years now. I've had my own business. I've done everything from portraits to weddings and stuff. But in that period of time, um, when I was solely doing it, I, I realized there were so many things I didn't like in photography, and I don't think I'll ever want to do those things again. So will I shoot another wedding? Not unless it's a good friend's wedding. Right. Will I do newborn photos again? No. And there's people out there that do a really great job doing those things and they should do it. It just doesn't make me happy. And so now I'm I'm more geared towards really authentic portraits of people dressed down and black and whites and something more artistic and commercial photography. I really like to take my time doing setting things up and getting the lighting right and it's almost scientific and I love that portion of it and even on the back end so that's kind of where I'm leading to so I'm kind of exploring some of that and learning some new things right now while I have a job you know it's just something that I can add to what I'm doing until I'm at a place where I could do that more yeah no you're total total hustler you raised four kids. I've and... always been a hustler. <laughs> I, I always say you could sell um, ice to an Eskimo because you're so good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, you got you raised four kids and you went to college. You put yourself through school and then you started a photography business and you were successful until you were in Seattle for how many years did you live in Seattle? Ten? No. Yeah, ten years. Ten years. And then you just recently moved back down. It's still considered Southern California, right? Thousand Oaks. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I know it's only like two hours away, and and you uh, moved down here with your boyfriend, and you just love it up there, and your son Max. I don't know, and you were you were ready, right? You were ready for a change. You had been up there for so long, and you're glad to be home. And you know, it, it, it's interesting with change. Uh, a lot of people really hate change. I'm the opposite. And actually I have to pull myself back sometimes because I'm always wanting to change gears. If I don't really like what's going, you know, this direction, I'll just change gears. And so I really made myself stay put in Seattle for my kids' sake. You know, they got to live in one house for a really long time, get through high school, do that whole thing. Moving to back to Southern California again was kind of a... I knew I would move someplace at some point after the kids were out of the house. I love Seattle and don't get me wrong. I mean, I probably could have stayed there another 10 years, but I was itching to go. I I think it felt uh, that there's just something pulling me away 
you know. And then, you know, I met my boyfriend and we really talked about what would be good for both our careers and what we're currently doing. And really with my job, it was easier for me to move to Southern California and continue to work. Whereas with his job, it's all in Southern California and he couldn't stay in Seattle. So it came down to choices and what was best. So that's how we ended up there. And I I don't regret it one second. It's been really good. Yeah. Um, You're down here at my house in Irvine, helping me pack as we speak because I've decided to give up my apartment. Mm -hmm. Cost of living is crazy. I'm gonna downsize. And I just couldn't see myself signing another year lease. And it's really hard to get out of leases with these big apartment complexes. So I'm going to downsize. And I'm kind of nervous because there's something deep down within me um, that believes that this is the right choice. Because being tied to a lease one more time, I've been here for three years. It would just, I feel like I'm just putting my life on hold. There's no sense of freedom and you know, financial freedom and things like that. So I know I'm doing the right thing deep down, but, and it was still a choice. When you make a choice, do you, what, do you just know that things are going to work out or do you stress out and then they work out or? Well, I I think with any decision, there's some amount of stress when it's a big one. And, And I think if you're not stressing about it, then you're really not thinking it through. And I can be quite impulsive. So as I said, I have to kind of rein myself back, but I do need to stress about it a while to know that I'm doing the right thing. (laughs) So yeah, to make big decisions, you, like I go with my gut every time I do something, it's, you know, it's almost always my heart over my head and which can get you in trouble sometimes. But on the other hand, I have a really great life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've, stories out the yin yang of fun things I've done and wonderful children who work hard and do amazing things. And I think they'll change the planet. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that I had a part of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and my crazy ways and just how I am that it could have maybe rubbed off on them a little bit. So no regrets. Yeah. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were little, when you were younger, what did you want to be? And So the very first job I remember ever wanting to be was an airline stewardess. Really? Yes. And my grandmother worked at the airport. And so she took me to, um, God, this was so long ago. She took me to the airport to work with her one day. And I got to be on the plane with the, and the pilots were showing me all the cool stuff. And then the airline stewardess gave me their little scarf and said, when you get old enough, you can come do this. So I thought for the longest time when I was really little, and I, I was probably like between five and 10 at that age, you know, thinking I was going to do it then. But then as I started to grow older, I got really into history and politics. And that's when I thought, okay, I really want to be a lawyer and I want to go to Washington, D.C. I'm My goal is to get to the Senate. I'm going to make this world different. And then when I got to college and I worked on some campaigns I realized I'm another cog in the wheel and I will, the kind of change that I want to make is not a one person change. And I have neither the passion nor the energy to try to move the world the way I could see it. No way. And so I, I did end up finishing a criminal justice degree, but 
law kind of left me and all the passion for what makes laws went out the door when Mm. you just see the way that whole system works. Sure. While I think taking on our government is not a one-person job, I would, I would agree there. But at a young age, you think you can. Yeah, I know. I, I you know, I worked for the military for eleven years. Yeah. I always thought, you know, I could, you know, I want to support our troops. I couldn't join the Marine Corps, you know, when I, I that's what I wanted to be when I grew up was a Marine, believe it or not. And I couldn't join because of my health. But so I worked for the military for eleven years, and this last bout um, with the Army, you know, it's just. It can be really discouraging and very disheartening when you can't make a difference, when one person can't make a difference in this massive bureaucratic world of our, you know, politics. But what I do believe is we can all make a difference. We can, when we're happy or we're happy with ourselves and we treat people, I believe one person can make a difference. Maybe not in our government, but even if you change one person's life. Or give them a smile for that day. Or when we're happy, people around us want to be happy. And if you know you're happy, then the people around you want to be happy. It could be very. It's very a domino effect. Right. And and I agree. I I wholeheartedly, even in the government, believe that one person can make a difference. It's just I lost the passion for that. Sure. And I saw this horrible system of how things are done and it broke me (laughs) you know I'm like wow these people are really corrupt and horrible Mm -hmm. and this is one campaign of many that run the same way right and yeah you could sit up there and say I want to change the world but maybe not that much but there are so many great people out there that are doing those things oh absolutely that, that they're, they just have a better, more of a passion for that than I did. Yeah, I lost my passion too, which is, it, it broke me as well. <laughs> very much broke me. And I, you know, I appreciate those people that are, that have the passion, that are fighting for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's just a, the human race, not necessarily females or anything like that, just who are fighting for what's right. And I think our system is just so messed up that it's so hard to get things done and Mm -hmm. i so i appreciate those people that are so passionate because i've lost it so there's somebody out there fighting for us yes yes and and you're right i support them all too i'm i'm really glad for the the rebels and the change makers out there and do my best to support them for taking the lead so i want to go back to your second husband and your second husband committed suicide and then it was after that that your dad died, right? Yeah, a year, a year and a day. Oh, my. Really? That close? Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. So I want to talk about um, not we can't plan for those things, but how did it change you? How did it change your life? Those two like traumatic experiences. So, you know, you don't know when you're in the middle of the fire that you're burning. So you don't really realize that until later. So when, like the thing with my ex-husband, we had been divorced for five months when he took his life. But we had went through, we'd been married for over 10 years, but we'd went through probably six years of sheer hell. Um, He was diagnosed bipolar, 
so it was a constant Jerry Springer up and down crazy time when you don't really know what you're getting yourself into when you wake up in the morning. Is it going to be a good day for them or a bad day? How are they just not going to come home that night? Or are they going to flip out, you know? Um, so after he died, it was in some ways it was like this deep sadness for my children and thinking about how they're, they're now living without a father. How am I going to make up for that? As a, as a mom and a parent, you're thinking all the time, how am I going to make it better? I do not want them to have pain. I do not want them to suffer, but they are. And, and I think that was the hardest thing for me to realize is that no matter what I do, it might not always be the right thing, you know, Right. but it just keep trying to do things, you know, that, you know, might help. And, um, you know, my kids went into therapy, the, that whole situation, like the aftermath of that, I didn't get a chance to really dwell on it because six months later, my dad got sick. And he was terminal. And I lived in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And my dad lived in Grand Junction, Colorado. So if anybody lives in Colorado, you know that's about 280 miles between. And every week for six months, I drove back and forth in order to be part-time with my kids. I had my niece come out and help me. Um, And then like four days a week with my dad to help care for him up until the day he died. And so you're kind of going, you're in one chaotic situation going to the, to another, but then you start living in chaos for a while and that's all you know. And it takes a while after all of this settles the dust of both of these deaths of people that I loved and cared about very much. My, my father was, it was devastating for my father Mm -hmm. to die every day. My dad called me every single day. And he, it, if he didn't hear from me by five o'clock in the afternoon, it would be like, hey, um, are you okay? You know? And this was before texting was a big thing. So he actually called me. <laughs> right. right. And, and when I lived in Grand Junction with him in that area, um, we'd have lunch together. So we were really close. And getting to that point, you know, when he was sick and just... We really, we even bonded more. We talked about his childhood more, which he never really talked a lot about. And when he was in the military and all these things, it's just like you, the last six months of somebody's life and you sum it all up. And and my dad was 58 years old. So young. It is so young. And, and I think about that all the time. He lived his life fully too. He was a mechanic and he loved his job. And I'm like, man, I wish I were more like that. To have that passion for what you're doing so much that you cannot imagine ever doing anything else. There's only a few people in my life I've met like that. Right. He's one of them, and so is my boyfriend. And I guess we date our dads, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> in, some way. in some ways. So, yes, after all that chaos and the dust settles and things, you know, slow down, now you are faced with looking at it and dealing with it and tearing it apart. And it is hard. It is really hard. Mm -hmm. But you're not doing this alone because you have kids. 
who love their dad, who love their grandfather, who are going through all these same things. And then you're just like overwhelmed and it takes a while to just get over it right? and breathe through it. And you know, I'm a big compartmentalizer. I, I put a lot of things in a box and don't deal with them until I'm ready. And I certainly did that during that time period. And it was my coping mechanism. Sure. You know, but slowly over the years, I've dealt with it. And, you know, I'm able to look back, even though my ex-husband and I had such a crazy relationship, I'm able to look back now and see some of the good things about him and try not to dwell on the bad. Because I want my kids to have the good memories. Sure, sure. I want them to think about that. But I am 100% honest with them about how he was. Right. Because they deserve that too. Right. I think just on two points is one is when you're in that situation, I always equate it to the, what's that analogy about the frog in the boiling water? You know, if you put a frog in a pot of water and you slowly turn up the heat, it's, you don't realize it that you're burning until it's too late. But if you, you know, had a pot of boiling water and you threw the frog in there, the frog's going to jump out, right? So it's like a gradual thing that you don't even really know what you're into until it's, you're past it, like you said. Mm -hmm. And that could be a lot to handle and to a lot to deal with. And by experiencing that, though, how did it change your philosophy on life? It didn't. Like, I, I, I still believe... I, I think I'm relatively a positive person sure. and um, I still believe the same things I believed then, but I, I think maybe now I cherish things a little more and not to say that we don't all have bad days or good, bad, whatever. Um, I, I still feel like every day is a new day. It's my chance to either let the rain get me down or get me up. Right. So you just, you just don't know. I will, I will say, um, you know, both my parents as well have passed away because of cancer and my mom died when I was 19. I have very few regrets, but that is one of them. Just being a crappy teenager and having your parent be sick and just not knowing how to deal with it. You know, writing when she had a mild stroke or seizure or something you know, riding with her in the ambulance to the hospital because I just didn't know or actually being there when she died. Yeah, I was at the hospital, but I wasn't on her bedside. She died alone. And that would have, that is probably the worst thing to do, like just to die alone to me. You know, so when my dad got sick, it's just different. I mean, I was older, obviously more appreciated you know, you appreciate your parents more when you're older and we were closer too. And you, you do, like you said, the last six months, you try to cram everything in. You, you want to know the, all these questions and these stories because you'll never be able to ask them again. Yeah. And that's just, I, you know, I think about that all the time. It's, I talk about how life is short and, you know, it could all end tomorrow, but I think we take a lot of things for granted too. So I really try to be mindful and stay mindful of that. It's interesting. Like I, you know, I can equate the time with my dad. Like, as I said, I was really close to my dad and we talked all the time. But those last six months, I, I got to know my dad. Exactly. It wasn't, you know, like it was more like he really told me about who he was. Because, you know, I, I think that generation was also just afraid to show 
um, pain. That my dad never went to the doctor. That's why his cancer was so advanced. You know, it. He he was living in pain for a long time and didn't do anything about it. it that's just that stoic, baby boomer generation, I guess. I think he was a baby boomer, and you know, never really talking about their feelings. And I'm all about talking about your feelings. So, you know, I I just wouldn't let them off the hook. Yep. I'm like, I got you here. You are sequestered in this hospital bed, you know, in the middle of the living room, mind you. But, you know, I really want to talk to you because I love you and I want to hear everything. You know, I, I want to know, God, I want to know why I do stupid shit. And I'm thinking it's because of you. <laughs> right. right. Now, I was the same way. My parents got divorced when I was young and I always wanted to know what happened. And I bugged him for months months and he just did not want to talk about it because you know he felt like he was a son of a bitch and I'm like you're gonna tell me before it's you know this is before he even got sick I'm like I'm you know I don't know he was afraid I was gonna hate him or something and I had to tell him I'm not gonna hate you but definitely when he was sick like he felt bad that my sister and I were taking care of him like he's like I don't deserve this how awful is that for somebody to feel like they don't deserve to be taken care of the, the guilt of, you know, that relationship ending right. meant that his daughters wouldn't love him and respect him. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah. And, of course, we were going to be there, and we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, my dad told me that he didn't deserve to pray or he didn't deserve to ask for anything from God. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he finally told me that... You know, he had prayed. I was sick as a child, and he had, I was really sick, and he prayed that I lived. And he felt like since that prayer was answered, he had no more prayers, and he didn't deserve anything. So we're rationed prayers in his life. Yeah, you know, and uh, I just. You already used up your allotment. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you can only get, you know, a five pointer and a 10 pointer, or, you know, whatever. (laughs) You get, you get a bunch of little one pointers. Who knows? I don't know, but that just made me, it broke my heart because he didn't deserve, he felt like he didn't deserve anything. And I just, gosh, that just breaks my heart. So, yeah, I'm very grateful for that time and miss him, miss both my parents. I, you know, wish I had more time with my mom. I wish I handled it differently. I was so young. And I was just like, "Eh," you know, and now it's crazy. But, um, yeah, so we're lucky we had that time. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I think about my grandparents. You're helping me pack, and you asked me about my grandpa. My, You know, just my grandparents were the coolest, and you just think, God, so much time has passed. I mean, we're 48. It just seems like a lifetime ago when they were around. You know what is interesting to me, and um, I, I was recently thinking about this. I was talking to somebody about my grandparents' house that I practically grew up in. I was raised there in Santa Ana. When my grandfather died, my dad sold the house. But I learned how to swim in that pool. Every holiday, my grandmother threw these huge parties with all of the family from Pennsylvania and every part of the freaking country was there. And then she died and people quit coming. And then my grandfather died and then the rest of them quit coming. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's just down to, like, your dad and your uncle. You have a a little bit of family left. 
and 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 then you just have nobody like in your family like and this is on my dad's side of the family um because i still have my mom and and my mom's side of the family too but it's just like that one part of your life like you start growing older and it shifts and changes so much and i realized hey my grandmother was like the matriarch Right. And she loved her family so much and she just huddled with them and made them. She said, you're not here. You were dead to me. You know, that kind of thing. Wow. She could have been Italian, you know, but not. So anyway, that changes and it goes away. And then you realize I have a different life now. But it was just, I don't know. It kind of struck me like how much different my childhood compared to my adulthood. Right. I still picture myself like lately I've been having... A lot of just images of me as a little girl in this one Easter outfit. There's a picture somewhere I have of me and my sister. And it was on Easter and we're all dressed up. And I just, I don't know. Like, I keep going back to that little girl, you know, and think about, like, just healing her and just comforting her and just, I don't know, getting back to, well, maybe that's what like you a, need to do. You know, a connection to my parents and my grandparents and mm-hmm. just... I don't, it's just, it's very odd right now. And it's, I just wish they, you know, so much time hasn't passed. And again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but just appreciating the elders while they're around. I think it is as we're approaching our midlife that we start really looking back and almost romanticizing the life that, you know, our our youth. We're going to approach the time that we remember our grandparents at and are we wanting to emulate what they had or are we wanting it to be different? How are we crafting, you know, our legacy? So oh, to that's speak. a good way to put it. Our legacy. Yeah. Like what do we want to be remembered by? Exactly. So whether it's to have all our families surrounding us or whether it is to wander the world, whatever our choices are, it is our choice. What we're putting out there is what is to be. Right. What do you think your legacy will be? You know, I don't, I don't really know. I, I, I don't even know that I want to look that far ahead. I want to look at now. And I, another one of my little Lana-isms, <laughs> live in the now because I've lived my whole life like that. And that's definitely not a regret of mine. I do want to see my children grow up and be happy and have their own children and help be a part of that. But I also want them to love and respect what I've done with my life too. And I am at that midlife and I'm thinking about what I want to do with my second half. And it isn't what I did with my first half. I I think I need to just change direction sometimes. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I need to stand still. But right now I'm just looking at my path, but I don't know where it's going yet. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Kind of like I don't know if I've left a legacy quite yet. I hope I do. But yeah, it's just this big unknown right now. I don't know. That's how I kind of feel. Mm-hmm. I don't fear it, though. Like for me, I... I <sighs> You turn 30, you kind of freak out a little bit because you just left those roaring 20s. You turn 40 and shit's starting to get real. <laughs> right. um, 
you turn 50 and I think you look back and you think, I've got this shit nailed down now. I kind of know how I'm living my life. Areas I need to work on and change or things that are working well and I want to keep going. Sure. I want to keep motoring that way. Right. You know, you're more confident, I think, sometimes. you. I just feel like I know myself better. Yeah. I can rein myself in better, too, and really think things through a little better than I did at 20. Yeah, I would That's say a whole other podcast, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Just um, laughing, yeah. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, you, when you get to this age, it's your second half, and you kind of go, okay, I've done all this for the last 40 years. How do I want my next 40 years if we live that, you mm-hmm. know, 30 to 40 years? Because we could live till we're 80 or 90. Yeah. And that's a long time. It really is. <laughs> it's a long time. And, you know, you have now all this life experience, and you have, like you said, you've worked through a lot of your stuff, you know yourself better, and you're like, how do I want my life to be? Mm-hmm. I have, you know, a good 40 years left. I'm going to make them count. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm doing with this with this move. It's a huge leap of faith. Put my money where my mouth is, right? And, and downsize and know that I'll be fully supported and see where like, I mean, on that flip side, it's, it's exciting to me. But I'm truly taking a leap of faith and going, okay, I want to have be open to opportunities and not stuck into some contract with a lease. And be open to whatever the possibilities are. So that's kind of... So you're positioning yourself. Yes, I guess. Yeah. Well, if we want to get all business like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm you're being doing. A stri- I'm being you're very strategic. strategic. It's a very strategic because decision. This is a dynamic, you know, area. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how many business words we can use all in one sentence. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's kind of... Yeah. I, I, I am excited because... I feel like there's a ton of opportunity and possibilities and the same thing for you. I mean, your boyfriend travels for work and you're even thinking about how can I travel for a year and take pictures and be in a position to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's exciting and I think more people should be, if that's what they want to do, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying everybody wants to do that, but to take that opportunity and just go. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because my mom is the exact opposite. Like, every time I tell her I'm going to take a trip, she freaks out. Thinks I'm going to die and, you know, that, oh my God, the rest of the world is horrible, you know. And and to me, you know, you can't wrap your head around that. She, it's just not her thing. She, her thing is like right around her and and I love and admire that about her. So it's, we all have different viewpoints. So I guess... That's something I was trying to say. We we all look at it. It's not a. It's a judgment free zone. I don't look at somebody who doesn't want to live as crazy as I have. You know, like they're bad. I look at them and I'm like, right on. If you're happy, that's, that's right. Great. And that's my point. Like again, I'm not trying to force anybody to think the way I do or right. think that you should do force this. Force an ideology. Force an, yeah, I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to do. I just want people to be happy Mm -hmm. and in order to be happy you have to be honest with yourself are you really happy with where your life is and if not make a change before it's too late before I don't want to say it's never too late but what I mean by you're at the end of the road and now you're like wow I really should have could have would have you know and that's what I mean before it's too late before 
you die you die and you're or in your deathbed or you come you know whatever it is i just i want people to not feel like they have to stay in the constraints of what society thinks you should do or what their family thinks they should do I agree. or you know what i mean you know and and really just be honest with themselves and take a chance never want to wonder what if what if you had done this or what if you had done that what your life would be like mm-hmm so that's my point. So for you listeners out there, I'm not trying to force my <laughs> force myself on you. <laughs> so well, I appreciate you talking with me today and your time and always being there to support me and love me no matter how crazy I am sometimes. Well, and talk a, me off the ledge. It's a mutual reciprocity. Yeah. Like seriously, like we lean on each other. Thirty years of friendship, thirty plus. That's something I treasure a lot. Me too. And I, I am so grateful every day. I trust me and name you by name every other day. <laughs> Thank God for Lana because, yeah, you've literally have saved my life. <laughs> so, um, and I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you too. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome.